Hi, my name is Adrienne Beatty, and I'm the Kids Ministry Director at Saltbox Church, where you can find a community who will walk with you into a deeper relationship with King Jesus. Good morning. Welcome, Daniel and Missy. Thank you, guys. John and Forrest, thank you. What a sweet worship time. Uh, welcome to our new gymnasium. We are glad that you are here with us. Um, I am, I'm going back to the book of Acts. We've been journeying uh, through the book of Acts. We'll pick up next week in Acts, I think, 17. Um, but I wanted to take one Sunday, this first Sunday of 2024, and I wanted to talk about the rhythms of transformation. Um, I'm not a huge fan of um, New Year's resolutions. They kind of get lost, in, at least in my world, after a couple of weeks, or maybe if you're really, really dedicated, a couple of months. But what I've attempted to do and what the Lord seems to have led me in is some rhythms of transformation that can become ongoing, almost habits um, in my life. And that's what I want to talk about this morning. And I'm going to use John chapter 2 to do it. This is one of my favorite um, passages on transformation. It's when Jesus transforms water into wine. Um, and, and perhaps uncharacteristically, I'm not going to do a bunch of other texts. We're just going to do John 2 verses 1 through 12. And what I'm going to try to do is get my arms around this idea, um, this, because we're going to see as we start reading that there's going to be six stone water jars that were used for ceremonial washing. And Jesus is going to take these six jars, um, really dirty water jars, and transform them into wine. And I'm, I'm going to see if we can tie together uh, some of the Old Testament and some of the New, and then I'm also going to see if we can make a pivot and an application point into our life. Sound good? All right, Lord Jesus, help us as we open your word. Help us sift our hearts. Be Lord and be glorified here. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so one of the things that I, um, just as we open John 2, that I, I, it is important to me that you get or you understand um, is, uh, and I, sh I attempt to share um, authentically and vulnerably uh, out of my own testimony. I've got kind of a wild testimony. Uh, it's a beautiful testimony of redemption. But I also want to share um, the active, redemptive work that God is doing in our, my heart and life right now. And the reason I want to do that is so you can do what? Do it in your heart and life, okay? So let me open up two areas. Um, we were just coming off of our Christmas break, and so uh, a couple of things happened on, on our um, Christmas break. It was a sweet time, but the kids were getting ready to go back to school um, this past week, and um, Abby, who's just wonderful at like celebrations and family rhythms, and um, she's just a delight, she says, you know, as a celebration of this whole kind of Christmas break that we've had, let's go have some hot chocolate with the kids. And so we went in to have some hot chocolate, and by the time we got inside, Amelia's blood sugar, she's a type 1 diabetic, had kind of like spiked up, and so we couldn't have hot chocolate. So we brought out some tea. So I like Bengal spice tea. It's like the kids call it tiger tea. There's a tiger on the box, and it's just like cinnamon tea. But we got that out, and Ezra's immediately disappointed. I don't like tea. It tastes like water. I want hot chocolate. <laughs> like, I know, Ezra, I agree. And... 
so with tea, you have to like heat the kettle really, really hot, and so we heat it really, really hot. And truthfully, my brain is already pivoting back into church and landscaping. That's what we have a landscaping business and just the church world and first Sunday back here, and I got all this stuff kind of rolling around, so I'm sort of half distracted. And so we brew this big kettle of water, and then we're, we're pouring it in, and tea's got to steep, and everybody's impatient while the tea steeps, and when's it going to be done? And so I rush the steeping process, right? And so what is the what is the tea now more taste like? Water. So now we have hot water. So I've rushed the process. The kids are slightly upset. Everybody's a little bit disappointed that we're not having hot chocolate. There's slight pandemonium in the kitchen. Abby's working on some kind of dinner, I think, and I'm managing the tea process. And so I finally, I rushed the process. I pour it into their little cups, and I put some milk in there to cool it down, and I, I taste it, and I'm like, oh, it's not cool, or it's not uh, tea enough. It's not cinnamony enough. So I put some more tea in, you know, and, and it heated the water back up. And the water wasn't scalding, but it was probably like a healthy 160 degrees, <laughs> right? And I say, don't drink your tea yet, everybody. Hold on. But I put Ezra's little lid on, and Ezra takes his tea, and like my three-and-a-half-year-old, what's he do? And I... <sighs> I just had one of these moments, and so I yell. I'm trying to get him to not drink the tea, because I turned away, and I like had this thought, what if he, and I start turning back, and I see him like out of the corner of my, no! So I yell in my kitchen, right? And I'm not sure if it was the hot water, um, or if it was my yell, but everyone in the kitchen just is almost on the verge of tears. Ezra breaks out crying, Amelia's on the verge of crying, Abby is like, Michael. I carry Ezra over, and I'm sitting on the couch, and he's crying, and now I am feeling uh, frustrated with myself, frustrated with the situation, some internal shame, all the stuff, right? And Abby looks at me and said, Michael, did you have to yell like that? I was like, well, I was trying to stop Ezra from drinking the hot water. <laughs> But I just sat there, and in my own head and in my own heart, what I began to experience is I want to run and hide. I want to run away. I'm embarrassed. I'm angry at myself. I'm ashamed about the situation. Do you all do this? Now, the reason I'm sharing this with you is not so that you can go, oh, listen to my, no, no, no. It's so you can begin to walk powerfully and appropriate the risen power of Jesus into your life day by day and moment by moment. Because if the only time that you can experience the saving grace and the life-giving power and the transformative revelation of the cross is when you are in a group or a church or whatever, you're missing out. But here is where it happens, like the rubber on transformation. We're going to read about wine to water. But the rubber meets the road of transformation in these moments where you are ashamed and you're angry at yourself and you're frustrated and you want to give up. And I just want to like walk out and throw up my hands and go out the front door and, you know, just whatever. And instead, I sit there and I'm like, I'm learning. It's, I'm 43 years old. It's taken me so long to get this. And I am learning to go, Ezra's crying, Amelia's crying, Abby's looking forlorn, I'm holding Ezra, and I'm, I'm learning to go, Father, I need help. I'm making a mess. And I pray that you would take my dirty wash water again, my thoughts, my emotions, my feelings, my negativity, and that you would transform them into the resurrection power of the blood of Jesus, the wine of your Holy Spirit, and that you would help me through this moment. And I have this 
nothing magical happened. There was no, but my negative emotions begin to dissipate. In the next five or six minutes, Ezra begins to cry less. Amelia's there. And we have a, a precious family moment around hot water. All right, pause that. The other thing that happened um, over some of our time off is Abby and I have been talking about building um, a, a mudroom. And uh, so I'm adding, I'm, I'm like a thoroughly mediocre, low-grade mediocre carpenter, but I'm building this wall, and I'm adding this mudroom in. This is what I do to rest, right? What's wrong with me? But you should know, um, and, and this is really important for you to know, because it's also important for you to know about you, but I am highly principled and highly driven, okay? And therefore, I often have impossibly high expectations for myself, and I like to think that I don't project those expectations on my wife and kids and everyone around me, but guess what? I do. And guess what? So do you. I'm just telling you, that's the way it is. If you don't know, ask somebody that's close to you that won't lie to you. They'll tell you the truth, maybe. <clears throat> ask me, I'll tell you. So, um, but, but here's the danger in that, is at my worst moments, I can be critical, um, I can become resentful, and I can even become self-righteous. And from that place of these, like, this, like, high expectations on myself, and then, un unfortunately, high expectations on Abby or our kids or our life, I can have these moments um, where things come out of my mouth that I wish didn't. Do y'all do that? Okay, so we're building, we're adding this mudroom, and mudrooms are, it's just, we're, you know, there's like a wall to build, and doors, and lights, and cabinets, and we're trying to manage a budget, and we're fussing a little bit, and squibbling, and we're, you know, I've got this idea, and Abby's got this idea, and we always get along, and everything always goes, and there's never any arguments, you know what I'm saying? And there was at least three times, maybe four, if you ask Abby after the service, she'll probably say six or seven, but there was at least three or four times where things came out of my mouth, and I went, Why? Like, why do I have to be critical? Or, and it just came out, and I'm like, again, I am learning to just pause in that moment. I'm not at church. Nobody's watching. It's just me and the Holy Spirit and my beautiful wife and our kids. I'm just learning to pause and just go, Holy Spirit, would you forgive me again for leaning on my own strength, for going back to my old ways, for not walking in the renewing of my mind, for not being filled with your spirit? And I'm learning to cause, pause and have these timeouts and remind myself that Michael's old dirty wash water, which we're about to read about, is being transformed. And there's, there's a double principle at play here because God redeems you and renews you and restores you once when you're saved, when you give your life to him, um, when you surrender your life to him, when you exchange your life to him. That is, you are made new, you're made perfect, but guess what? You're still broken, and you still make messes, and you still say things and do things and participate in things that you might be ashamed of, and then you have to go on this sanctifying Jesus journey where you learn to bring those things into the light, and the faster you can stop hiding things, and the faster you can bring things into the light, the faster you can acknowledge where you're wrong, the faster you can stand before God and go, would you forgive me, and would you help me, and would you renew me, and the faster you can look at a spouse or a friend or a neighbor and go, hey, I was wrong, would you forgive me, the faster the rest 
resurrection power of the risen Jesus can come into your heart and life. And I'm telling you, we are not called to be a church that just experiences the resurrection power when there's somebody up here playing a guitar and we've got a great moment, or when somebody's up here preaching the word, but we are called to be a church that is actively in the present, active, day by day, moment by moment, in the mundane, calling upon the resurrection power of King Jesus to come into us and renew us in our most ugly places. That's revival. That's revival. And when a group of people begins to recognize where they're not and stop hiding their failures and stop hiding in their shame and rather begins to just own it and say, man, I've messed up again. I've done it. God, would you forgive me? Would you transform me? Um, would you fill me? Would you help me? And then look at each other and ask their forgiveness. That's power. It's the power of the Holy Spirit at work in our lives. Okay. Now, let me give you biblical context. You ready? John 2. Let's go. On the third day, a wedding took place at Cana in Galilee. What else happened on the third day? Jesus was resurrected. I got to get Jesus was resurrected on the third day. John is making a point here about something that is, is yet to come. But he is already saying um, on the third day, Jesus is going to be resurrected. But on the third day, a wedding took place at Cana in Galilee. This isn't far from Jesus' hometown. Jesus' mother was there. Who's his mother? Mary, yep. And Jesus and his disciples, there's only six of them at this point. He doesn't have the whole band together yet. There's six of them, um, had been invited to the wedding. So where are they? They're at a wedding. Jesus, his mother, six disciples. Verse 3, when the wine was gone. Now a wedding in the Middle East goes for like seven days. It's a serious throwdown party. Like it's not an afternoon event with a meal and a little reception. No, no, it's like a seven-day deal, which is why the wine could run out. Jesus' mother said to him, they have no more wine. Verse 4. Woman, why do you involve me? Jesus replied, my hour has not yet come. And his mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. I think that's one of the most powerful verses in the Bible. Do whatever he tells you. Verse 6. Nearby stood six stone water jars, the kind used for Jewish ceremonial washing, each holding from 20 to 30 gallons. Most of my research would say up to 33 gallons, but regardless, that's what it is. All right, let's pause right there, and let me just open some things um, up here. All right, on the third day, um, Jesus is actually launching his ministry. So in the, in, if you like look at the Gospels, this is the first act where Jesus launches his ministry. So Jesus chooses to launch his ministry where? At a wedding. And if you go and read the end of the book, which we're not going to do today, but go and read Revelation 20, 21, and 22, you're going to find that Jesus is going to return to a wedding. 
So Jesus launches, so the book end of, of the book ends, if you will, the ministry of King Jesus begin at a wedding and end at a wedding. The, the, the wedding in which they end at, he is going to be married or wed. He is the bridegroom. We are the bride, the body of Christ, universal, not just salt box here, but around the world, living those who have passed on before us. That is the bride of Christ, and he will return and be married. So I love that he is a God that launched his ministry at a wedding, and he's going to conclude his ministry at a wedding. Okay. <clears throat> the other thing that I love here is you're going to watch. This is a God, this is a Jesus that covers social embarrassment. If you throw a party and you don't have food and you don't have drink, what do you feel? Ashamed, embarrassed. So it's fascinating to me because one of the things that you begin to see in this text are you have Jesus, uh, his mom, Mary, saying to him, hey, they don't have any more wine. So what's um, implied in that statement? Jesus, they're embarrassed. Jesus, uh, they're going to be ashamed publicly in front of everybody. Jesus, if you don't do something, um, they're going to be uncovered and they're going to be exposed. And Jesus kind of gives her a little bit of a rebuke. Let's go back to that. Woman? Now, let, let me uh, characterize this because um, that is not, it doesn't, in the, in the context here, it is not quite like you and I um, read it. It's not disrespectful. This, this is more like dear woman or dear lady. But what he is doing is he is drawing a line between he and Mary. And there's this transition that Mary is actually forced to make right here. It's really a beautiful transition because she has been mother to Jesus. Um, she has had this place of kind of authority or, or just, you know, being the mother of Jesus thus far. And all of a sudden Jesus cuts a line and he is beginning to now step into his ministry um, as the future future bridegroom as the son of God, as God incarnate. And so he requires that Mary makes this transition from just being his mom to actually being a believer. Okay? So it's really a, it's really a beautiful um, switch here. Let me see if I can find my notes. I also love about this that Jesus was invited to the party. Do you invite a religious killjoy to your parties? I'm just saying, right? You all know people like that. Don't invite so-and-so. They're a big stick in the mud, right? But Jesus gets invited. What does that tell you about Jesus? He's liked. He's loved. He's warm. He's respected. He's wanted at social events. He's not some religious killjoy stick in the mud. No, no, no. This guy is cool, and people want him there. So he shows up at the party. <clears throat> Mary says, hey, they're going to be um, ashamed. Uh, they're going to be publicly, perhaps, humiliated, um, and he says, woman, why do you involve me? My hour has not yet come. He's saying it is not yet time for me to launch my ministry. And I would say something to us as a church right here, because we're not really talking about prayer, but there's something you need to get on prayer right here. Jesus says no. Mary, say, Mary inquires. She says, please. She asks. And what does Jesus do? He does it. Like if you take something from this moment, take from it that this is a God that will listen and will hear and will respond. Is it always going to be the way you want? No. But it is a powerful response. And I love what Mary says here because there's this woman, why do you involve me? Jesus replied, my hour has not yet come. And his mother responds immediately with like total faith. Look at this. She says to the servants, do whatever he tells you. 
Like, do you hear this? Jesus hasn't even changed and answered it yet, but Mary steps out in faith and she turns around to the attendants at the party and goes, y'all listen to whatever he's about to tell you because he's going to do something, and if you'll listen, it's going to be really, really amazing. I mean, so she prays to the God of the universe, incarnate, in human form, would you cover these people's shame? Would you provide more wine from them, which sounds super anti-religious to most of us in America, right? Um, And not only that, but he rebukes her gently she steps from mother into a believer like you and I and then all of a sudden she turns and and immediately directs the servants um, to do whatever he says what faith what faith our part in prayer is to lay the need or the request before God and then trust him to respond as he wills you follow me our part is to come to him with the prayer it is to be honest with where we are is to be genuine is to put our our, our prayer before him um, but I would say to us Mary's prayer is followed with explicit obedience in other words prayer without a willingness to obey God is no different from faith without working out your salvation you follow me? Faith without works is dead. That's the passage in James. But this is God um, works in us to transform us. I'm not saying perform for your salvation, but Philippians 4.12, I think it is, says work out your salvation. So God works in to transform, but we have to work out by faith and walk it out. And you get to see that really beautifully here because Mary, after being rebuked, receives it, doesn't get defensive, doesn't get ashamed, just goes, "Mm, okay, turns to the servants and says, do whatever he says. Do whatever he tells you. And I would actually say if there's something you ought to like write on your mirror, my sister when we were growing up would write on her mirror with lipstick. If there's something you should write on your mirror or like write on your Bible or write somewhere is do whatever he tells you. Okay. Nearby said sticks, six stone water jars, the kind used by the Jews for ceremonial washing, each holding from 20 to 30 gallons. Okay, stone jars, 20 to 30 gallons. What do you think, about yay big? Okay, how often do you think those jars are picked up and hauled down to the Sea of Galilee to be washed out? Come on, you don't think that happens? You think there's a spigot at the bottom that they can like drain the water and they dump a little Clorox bleach in there and swish that thing around and you think that's going on? Okay, so let's just say that we put six stone water jars at the entrance to our church and every Sunday as you came in, you washed your hands and you washed that olive oil up on your hair and you splashed that on your face. And sure that as the water evaporated as it does that we would fill, the, we would fill those jars back up. But what begins to collect in the bottom of those water jars? Sludge. Somebody said it. Absolutely. So you got sludge. So you have this like, I mean, you know, this is pre-germ theory, right? But it's not pre-germs. So what is going on in the bottom of these water jars? I'm not trying to be gross, but I want you to fully grasp something because go back to my story at the start of this. This is the Jesus that wants to take your dirty wash water and transform it into the wine of his spirit if you will be willing to bring your mess to him and let him do it. You hear me? It's powerful if you can get your head around this. Okay. Let's keep going. Nearby stood six stone water jars, the kind used by the Jews for ceremonial washing, each holding from 20 to 30 gallons. Let me say here, see if I can find my math. 
Um, so I just ran the math at, I did it at 33 gallons. I did some research and felt like these are more likely 33-gallon containers, but give or take, doesn't matter. But that is 198 gallons of wine, 1,000 a, a bottles of wine, or 82 cases of wine. Now, let me just pause here and say something, just with great clarity. Um, Ephesians 5.18 says, don't be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. Drunkenness is a counterfeit Holy Spirit, and I think if you were to take this verse to justify any type of over-drinking or over-indulging, you would be proof-texting and in total self-denial. Just straight up. That's the way it is. Okay? The other thing I think you have to keep in mind is a lot of times wine in this day and age was the only way to keep water fresh, um, and they'd cut it with water maybe up to, I, we don't have no idea, but let's say it was 15% alcohol. By the time they cut it with water, it might be 5%. Okay? So it's different, perhaps, we don't know, than our wine. So don't take this as justification to go out and do whatever you want. And, uh, you know, Jesus is always stomping on the religious traditions of men and women. That's just the way it is. And then he invites us into the greater things of the kingdom. But if you've got a problem or a history with drinking, don't take this as condemnation. Continue to do what you're doing in regard to abstaining and moving on with your life. Amen? Okay, but now let me go back to preaching the God who makes 198 gallons of wine. What? Okay, <clears throat> let's keep going. Jesus said to the servants, so he answers Mary, my time is not yet, but you don't get anything else other than he says to the servants, fill the jars with water. So they filled them to the brim. Then he told them, now draw some out and take it to the master of the banquet. So the servants knows what's at the bottom of the jars, you hear me? And, and do people drink out of the ceremonial wash water jars? No! There's like an oil slick on the top because everybody's got olive oil in their hair. I promise you. No one is drinking out of the wash water jars. So Jesus first says, hey everybody, uh, fill these six jars up. So they have to go to the well or to the, the Sea of Galilee's too far away, but they went to some well, they pulled out water, they came back and they dumped it in. Remember, they're not in a huge rush because this is a seven-day party, right? It's not like they've got a, they're not, it doesn't have to happen instantaneously. So they fill up these six jars and Jesus now says, take some out and take it to the master of the banquet. Do you think you would do that? I'm going to go take some of the wash water out of the sink over here that somebody just washed their hands in, and I'm going to take it to somebody and hand it to them and ask them to drink it. Would you do that? I'm telling you something, though, that the Bible is full of these moments, just like we saw with Mary, where, like Peter, when he gets out of the boat and walks on water, you come to these spots where you will either make the choice by faith to take a risk and to do something, or you are going to stay in the boat and not do it. You are going to sit back, and if you choose to stay in the boat or not by faith, say, do whatever he tells you, or not by faith, take the water out and take it to the master of the banquet. If you choose, you can begin to miss the high and the best that God has for your life. You hear me? So it takes risk, actually, to follow Jesus. And America, like it or not, in 2024, is a risk-adverse nation. We don't like risk. And following Jesus requires risk. I got a nudge that I'm supposed to go share with somebody in the grocery store. You got to walk over there and say, hey, have you ever heard of Jesus? Have you ever been to church? Do you, you know, that takes risk. It's the same thing. But can you imagine drawing this potentially dirty sludge water out that people wash in 
and then taking it to the head of the banquet, I can just imagine. And I even imagine how many of the servants were like, no, nah, man, I'm good. <laughs> and one of them, you know, I wonder how many to go through. I'm willing to bet, this is extra biblical, I have no idea, but I'm willing to bet it went through a handful of them until one said, I'll do it. I'll believe. I'll believe. I'm going to draw some out. And I'm going to walk through the curtains and out to the master of the banquet, and I'm going to hand it to him. Let's see what he says. They did so, verse 9, and the master of the banquet tasted the water that had been turned into wine. He did not realize where it had come from. What does that mean? <laughs> he did not realize that this was surly wash water. Though the servant who had drawn the water knew. Is this so good? This is so good. Then he called the bridegroom aside. Now, who called the bridegroom aside? The master of the banquet. So he calls to the bridegroom aside and he says, everyone brings out their choice wine first and then they bring out the cheaper wash water wine. I'm just kidding. After uh, the guests have had too much to drink, but you have saved the best till now. Well, there's, there's like so much here, I can't even fully get my hands around it. But this is um, the wine of the first covenant, or the water, if you will, of the first covenant, the Mosaic covenant, if we went back to Exodus, um, is the dirty wash water that gives way to the wine of the new covenant, the blood of the new covenant. In fact, we're getting ready to celebrate the Lord's Supper. We're getting ready to celebrate communion, and we have grape juice today. But what is that representative of? The wine of the Spirit, the wine of God, the wine of the new covenant. It is a um, symbolic representation of the very blood of Jesus. So when Jesus takes dirty wash water, and it is nasty and probably stinky, and all of a sudden he transforms it into the wine of the new covenant, you get this God that is doing a miracle in their midst. And see, John, the very gospel of John, is written on like two forms or two planes, if you will. So you've got this like higher form where it's just the scene. Like, wow, this guy just took water and he made it into wine. But then you've got a second layer to the Gospel of John where it becomes a larger sign of the king universal, the world's rightful sovereign, where the very essence of this king, the essence of this God, is that he will always take your dirty wash water and transform it into the wine of your spirit the moment you bring it to him. So you go back to me sitting in my living room holding my little crying boy and I want to like put my little boy aside and stomp outside and have a little pout fest and woe is me and let's have some self-pity and I'm going to kick the dog or the house or the whatever, right? All the stuff I want to do. And instead I go, no, I am tired of injecting my dirty wash water. I am tired of bringing my old mess. My king died on a cross once and for all. He rose from death. He broke the bounds of my dirty wash water so that I can get up and live free. Listen to me, church. You and I can live free in the resurrection power of this king because the moment, the moment you bring your dirty wash water to him and by faith dip it out and begin to call it by faith wine, he begins to transform you. Not just when you give your heart to him the first time. He will save you. He will redeem you. You will be born again. But day by day, moment by moment, situation by situation, as you learn to bow your knee and stop clinging to the old wash water of the religious ways, who used those stone jars? The Pharisees. Who used those stone jars? The religious people. 
So when he uses even the stone jars to house the new wine, he is saying, I am going to take the old ways, the old religious ways, maybe old school church if it's, that's in your mind, but I am going to take that and I am going to redeem it and renew it and I am going to break in it and out of it and through it and I am going to birth the wine of the new covenant, the wine of my spirit, so that you and I can walk free and live free and know him and at any single moment, day by day, moment by moment there's an invitation where you can stop living in your old wash water and you can start living with him by the spirit and it's as simple as a surrender Lord Jesus would you forgive me again it's me I'm here I'm back I'm angry I'm ashamed I'm disappointed I'm hurt I'm frustrated you fill in the blank would you forgive me and as an act of my will I exchange my broken wash water again would you fill me with the wine of your spirit Supernatural transformation, boom. And then you stand up and you gotta walk it out by faith. And if you're like me, you gotta go back to your spouse and say, babe, when I made that comment about the mudroom, I was really wrong, would you forgive me? And what is immediately injected into that relationship? Come on, what's injected? The wine of the Spirit of God. I don't want a normal, earthly, run-of-the-mill marriage. I don't want to be a normal, earthly, run-of-the-mill dad. I don't want to be a normal, earthly, run-of-the-mill pastor. I want to be a pastor, a dad, a father, a husband that is so filled with the Spirit, and I want to lead a church who is willing not just to come together on Sunday to celebrate, but they can begin to celebrate the transformation of their old wash water to the wine of the Spirit on Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday and Friday and Saturday. And I actually believe that when believers come together on Sunday, it's not to get filled up. Rather, it's an overflow of celebration and expression. God intended that the church would come together to celebrate what's already been done, not to accomplish what he wants to do. You hear me? This is the finished work of the King of kings and Lord of lords. This is the finished work of the cross of Christ Jesus. Oh, my goodness. Somebody got wound up today. God, I love this, though, guys. This is the essence of of the gospel from Genesis to Revelation. Let me say something else here. Um, who did Jesus perform this miracle in front of? Servants. Mom. People of reputation? No. Important people? No. All the wedding for everybody to see? No. Do not ever, and as long as I'm a pastor, Lord, would you have mercy and help us, do not ever trade what happens on the platform in front of everybody for the deep heart work of transformation that happens when nobody's looking. That's the sickness in the American church at this moment, is we have traded the deep heart work of transformation for what happens up here in front of people. And what happens up here in front of people should merely be an overflow and a reflection of the dirty wash water that has already been transformed. Woo, somebody needs to say amen. Okay, I think the uh, couple of other things that I want to say is Jesus always blesses abundantly more in quantity and in quality. We just saw it here. I am not a prosperity gospel guy, but you have got to get it. God wants to bless you so much more than you understand. So much more. A thousand gallons of wine. They would have had enough to sell at the end of this. I'm serious. He wants to bless you. Get out of your own way and get out of his way and begin to invite him into every area of your life. Okay. 
let me make some just statements here that I, I want to see if I can tie all this together. This is the Jesus that takes the water of the Red Sea. You've got to know your Bible here if you don't read Exodus. The water of the Red Sea and transforms it into the wine of the promised land. You follow me? This is the Jesus that takes the dirty wash water of your brokenness and my brokenness and transforms it into the wholeness of the new wine of the promised land. That's relationship with him today. This is the God that takes the enemy of your soul, your meanness, your pride, your greed, your lust, your covetousness, whatever it is that you struggle with, and he drowns it in the waters of the Red Sea when that thing comes back together, and you can experience the freedom of the new wine of the promised land. This is why Jesus launched his ministry at a wedding, and this is why he's going to end it at a wedding. This is the Jesus that takes the water of the Mosaic law and transforms it into the freedom and the wine of the new covenant. This is the Jesus that takes the bitter tears of your slavery and my slavery, the things you're in bondage to and the things I've been in bondage to, and transforms them into the new wine of promise. This is the Jesus that takes the water of your guilt and your habitual failure and your illegalism and your addiction to performance and religiosity and transforms it through King Jesus into the wine of forgiveness, victory, and joyful obedience. Everything changes here. Everything changes when this king the world's rightful sovereign, launches his ministry. The question for you and I in 2024 is not what are your New Year's resolutions, but will you do whatever he tells you, number one. And number two, are you willing to allow him, not just once, but every day in ongoing ways to transform the wash water of your brokenness into the wine of the promised land? Now, let me make a couple statements about practical, transformative things, and then we're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper. A couple of practical tools for transformation. This is not, don't go make a rule out of this. This is what God's used in my life. Um, I believe in a one-year Bible. I love a one-year Bible. We give them away for free out there. We've got somebody who underwrites them, and we just give them out. But he, listen to me. I've now been doing a one-year Bible for nine years, but I didn't start with the whole thing, Okay? Some of you are going to walk out and go, I'm going to read my one-year Bible this year. Don't do it. Don't do it. If you've never read your one-year Bible, go get one and put your one-year Bible on your nightstand and commit to the proverb. That's it. How long is the proverb, somebody who reads the one-year Bible? It's like, it's like 10 words, 15 words. Like, just start. Just take a baby step. And if you do that for a year, then add the psalm to it. And then maybe add the New Testament. Don't start with something where you're going to fail and you can't measure up and then you're going to go into your old cycle of performance and beating yourself up. You hear me? Start with something that you can succeed at. But every single day, open that Bible up and just read a couple of words and go, Lord, would you transform me? I am beginning to see, after nine years of reading a one-year Bible, I had this moment, I was on the phone with a friend um, a couple weeks ago, and I had this moment where I was like, I'm being transformed. Jesus, it's working. It's working. I'm thinking differently, and I'm acting differently, and oh my goodness, it's happening. And I was, so, I was really excited. I was like a little schoolboy or you know, Christmas morning guy. But it's like it is working, but transformation takes time and it is slow, and it is not exciting, and it is not glamorous, and it doesn't happen on a platform. It happens in front of servants in the little back rooms, day by day, moment by moment. The other thing that I love in transformation is a five-year journal. People say, Michael, why do you talk about a five-year journal? It's got five lines every year or every day. 
guess what? Even I can write five lines. The thing that's intimidating me about normal journals is they don't begin and they don't end. It's just endless pages. I'm like, how much do I should write and write and write and write? But this is so nice because it's got five lines. And guess what? When my five lines are full, I'm done. I'm now looking at nine years of five-year journal entries. I put in there my prayers, my worship, listening to the still small voice of God, books I'm reading, things the Holy Spirit is convicting me of. If you read my five-year journal, you would go, oh my goodness, Michael is way more broken than we thought. <laughs> if you read my five-year journal, you would also go, oh my goodness, Michael is way more holy than we thought. If you read my five-year journal, you would go, oh my goodness, he prays for like big old grand super Christian things and he prays for really dumb mundane things. This is the God that wants you to be in relationship with him and praying for the big and the small and everything in between. The other thing that I do is I run a set of daily declarations. And those daily declarations, are, they're all biblically based and they just remind me of who I am. They remind me that I've traded my dirty wash water for the new wine of promise. And it just reminds myself that the old Michael is gone and the new Michael in Jesus has been resurrected. And then the last thing that I do is, and you can, we can talk more about this if you want or send an email out about it, but I run a flight path or a dashboard. Before a pilot takes a plane up in the sky, he tracks a flight path. This is what I believe God's called me to in this next year. And I write it out. These are the dreams. These are the, I don't really, not really goals. These are the things I got, things that I believe God wants to do. And I just write it out and then I begin to pray for it. And I just stick them in my little one or my five-year journal. Now, does any of that work by itself without the wine of the spirit? No. No. Now, let me also ask this question and we're going to have communion. How do I know this works? I know this works because when I was a young man, 18, 19, 20, I spent seven years in a cult. And you might remember, but I told you at the beginning, some of my foibles, I'm highly principled, but I'm also highly driven. I can be highly legalistic. I can be highly self-righteous. And you put me in that type of environment and it fans all the horrible things in Michael. And I came out by the supernatural grace of God and I've been in a restorative process and my life is and was and has been and will continue to be transformed. This is the Jesus that if you will give him your heart and your life and your old wash water, not just once, but every day, he will transform. And you just get up in your emptiness and your brokenness. And I go, Father, it's me again. Good morning <laughs> as I'm making my coffee. And I open my one-year Bible and I begin to read and say some declarations. And I'm jotting in my little journal and I just remind myself of who I am. And it is the daily exchange of transformation where I'm taking on the character of Christ. And guess what? You can too. You can too. Just little steps every day. And you can begin to experience the resurrection power of this king. That's it. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took bread. He would have been reclining at a table with his 12 disciples, and he took a, a loaf of bread, and he broke it. And he said, this is my body given for you. And they had no idea what he was talking about. He was about to die on a cross, an excruciating death. But he broke it. And he said, every time after I'm gone that you do this, that you eat of this bread, do so in remembrance of 
what I've done. This is the God that was broken so that your wash water and my wash water could be transformed into the wine of his spirit. And then he took a cup and he took wine. We have juice today. But he poured it out and he said, this is my blood, the blood of the new covenant. Every time you take of it, every time you drink of it, do this in remembrance of what I've done. Not where you've failed, not where you've not lived up, not where you've fallen short, but what I've done on the cross in your place. Father, I pray that you would take these common elements and you would set them apart. And Father, I pray that we as a little church, as a little representation of the larger body of Christ around the world, as we celebrate the death, the resurrection, and the ascension of you, King Jesus, Lord of Lords, the world's rightful sovereign, that we could take into ourselves appropriating the truth that you are the God that transforms our old wash water into the wine of your spirit. Father, thank you. We have four stations up here this morning. So what we're going to do is our ushers are going to have you stand up row by row. Just stay seated right now. And there's going to be one station over here and then one right here. There's going to be one here and there's going to be one over there. And the ushers are going to have you stand up and you're going to exit your row that way. And you're going to come forward and the bread is all gluten-free, by the way. You're going to grab your bread and your juice and you're going to go back down and sit in your seat and I'd invite you to wait and we'll celebrate we'll pray one more time and we'll celebrate this together if you're here let me say this if you're here and you're not a believer if you've not given your heart to the king of kings and lord of lords I'd love to pray with you that truly is the prerequisite for celebrating communion if you're here and you're in your Jesus journey and you're not sure where you are and you're not ready to take communion that's okay you can just hang in your chair come talk to one of us but this is a powerful symbol of the transformation of your old wash water into his wine. Father, thank you. We love you. Amen. Y'all are going to lead us in worship. Don, you can go ahead and begin to dismiss people. I'll pray for us in just a minute. We'll take communion together. Here is where I lay down. Every burden, every crown, this is my surrender, this is my surrender, here is where I lay it down, every lie and every doubt, this is my surrender. Do whatever you want to. 
blessed Savior, I surrender. Father, I pray that as we take these common elements, that you would powerfully set them apart and that we as your people could appropriate the very life, the death, the resurrection, and the ascension of King Jesus into our hearts. Father, transform us, the old dirty wash water, into the wine of the new covenant. Lord, we love you and praise you. Amen. Eat and drink. invite our ministry team to come up. We've gone a few minutes long this morning, but if you're here and you've never given your heart to this King, if you've never prayed and given your life to him, I'm going to be right here. I'd love to pray with you. Our ministry team is going to be around the front. If you've got a special need, we would love to pray with you. I realize it's late, so I'm going to go ahead and dismiss you, but perhaps Daniel will lead us in a song as we exit. As you go, may you dedicate and consecrate 2024 to be a year in which you see by faith this God taking that old wash water and making it the wine of his spirit active in your life moment by moment and day by day. Amen and amen. Thank you for joining us today. We are grateful to walk with you on your own Jesus journey to grow into a deeper relationship with King Jesus. For information to join us in person or online, check out saltboxchurch.com. Just Jesus, nothing more, nothing less.